Hey, unfuckers, welcome to a very special, unfiltered, and less than glamorous edition of Unfucking the Republic. You have a treat in that the three of us, once again, are together. We're not together in studio, but we're together hosting this very special show because it is the day after the midterm elections. We decided to push show notes into this episode and to just have sort of a freeform, unfiltered conversation. We were slacking all night. Obviously, we were talking through uh, who was going to kind of pay attention to which races last night. What we really wanted to do was have some immediate response to the midterms kind of coming on the heels of what we were talking about with the tough on crime episode, which was the way that the Republicans were going to try to kind of steal the thunder from the Democrats nationwide by preying on our worst fears, by uh, you know going with some classic tropes that usually work, but it's more of a kind of a parochial way to win an election rather than a national strategy. So it was interesting that they went with that. The Democrats obviously had a lot better showing than most people were looking at. My very first takeaway is fuck all pollsters and fuck the media. And uh, they can both go fuck themselves together in a glorious orgy because the media was feeding on the pollsters to try and create a situation where, I w you know what, I was likening it to, um, I was likening it to the buildup to a fight that is not a fight. So if, again, I've said before, I'm a, I'm a boxing fan, and there's always these, these great mismatches that will make for a great pay-per-view, and the announcers and the producers will do their level best to create these amazing backstories for this fighter that's clearly got no shot to win, and to say, you know, there's always a puncher's chance, and that's sort of the, the, what the media was going with here, which is try and build this thing up as best they can on fear, mostly, this red wave, what we know from midterms classically, and try to create some sort of fervor that's going to look like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. And then what happened is mostly normal people showed up and voted for the things that matter the most to them. And in this case, we can tease out some of what those are. So we're going to do that. We're going to go through a number of the elections that we've been talking about for well, two years now with some really key seats. We're going to talk about certain states, certain overarching themes, some takeaways that we have. Uh, but let me just start by welcoming my colleagues, 99 and Manny, here with the three of us are together, speaking to our beloved unfuckers. 99, let's start with you. How you doing today? I'm good. Yeah? I mean, it was a long night. How late did you stay up? I think my last slack from you was quarter to one or something like that, right? I think I finally turned in at like one forty-five. Oof. Ouch. But I mean, half of it was because I was watching The Parent Trap. <laughs> so. <laughs> hmm. Okay, I'm not really sure what to do with that information, but okay. Yeah. Well, it was, that's probably a good way to kind of like decompress after a really stressful night, right? Yeah, I had to finish it. Like, I have to see them get back together in the end. Of course. Of oh, course. spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> and you've just heard the the voice of the inimitable Manny Faces. Manny, welcome to the podcast broadcast. How you doing today? What's up, friends, neighbors, supporters, and haters? How we doing? We're doing okay. Um, I'm a little disappointed. 
I, I mean, we sent you down there for a reason. <laughs> we sent you to Georgia to help figure some shit out. And and all I can all I can ask you is, what the fuck, man? I, and I have so many kids <laughs> that can vote <laughs> that, that can vote now. So you would think we'd be set. Uh, you know, interesting place to be uh, during the this election year. Uh, it was. Uh, well, let's start off with Stacey Abrams first yeah. and, and kind of your reaction to her losing, I mean, by a landslide. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I, I, I would have put I think we all probably a lot of people would have put good money on on uh, on, on Miss Abrams, uh, you know, no, a year ago or even halfway into this this cycle or this year. Uh, it seems like I was talking to a friend who said that she seems more of a. She's a great organizer, but not necessarily a great candidate. Uh, you know, and that seems to be what's panned out a couple of times. It's 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 unfortunate. I think there was a lot of ticket splitting going on uh, in mm-hmm. Georgia, which, you know, which is why you have had more support for Warnock uh, than Abrams. And, uh, you know, that's something we'll probably talk about. There was some ticket splitting in a couple of these interesting uh, races, which, again, pollsters weren't necessarily calling for or, you know, uh, predicting. Um, so I thought that was interesting how it played out, but yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm disappointed personally, uh, but I, uh, I'm, I'm, and I'm still a little bit surprised. I, I also realized that we're still, you know, this place barely turned blue last time. And sure. obviously with, um, Herschel Walker doing about as good as a potato would have mm-hmm. done, um, you know, it just shows the, the state of the state. So Disappointed, uh, a little surprised, but certainly not shocked. Yeah, and, and I don't think the pollsters do a good enough job of trying to figure out what the down ballot might look like and what some other, um, what some other races might look like because ticket splitting really is a thing. Like if you look at, if you look at Vermont and New Hampshire, these are, well, they went blue. Vermont always blue. Uh, Leahy was replaced by another, you know, very similarly suited blue Democrat. Um, but they both have Republican governors and then co- comfortable margins for Republican governors. And I think that's a reflection of a very oh, considerate and considered electorate that looks at the state of things and says, well, here's what I want nationally. Here's what I want my representatives to do for me on the national front. Uh, but here are the things that are important to me so that nobody kind of runs away one side or the other. And 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 for that, unfuckers, we're going to bounce all over the place today. But I want to just draw one quick correlation between the the idea of ticket splitting that Manny's bringing up and and how th- how a a reasonable electorate will choose to either promote or punish their their state representatives based upon what's happening locally but also on the national scale. Mm. And for that we can just look at New York. So, New York is if the Republican winds up taking the House, now we're recording this in the early afternoon on the day after Election Day. As of right now, the New York Times has it uh, 198 to 175. The threshold, obviously, for the majority is 218 in the House. And New York State, if I'm doing the math correctly, as I was going through each one of the congressional races that has not been called will likely be the state that pushes the Republicans over the top in the House. And I mean by a hair. So of the likely races to turn Democrat or to go uh, to go Democrat, 
which are most of the remaining because we're talking about a lot of the West Coast. So you're talking about California. You're still talking about uh, a couple in Oregon. You're talking about a couple in Washington State, Colorado. So there's a good chance that you're going to see the Democrats close the gap between the time you, you know, we're recording this and the time you listen to it. But the Republicans probably wind up with something like 220 to 222, which will be enough for them to take just a sliver control of the House. If that's the case, it's going to be because New York went demonstrably red in the suburban and rural areas of the state. So why is that? Well, first off, Kathy Hochul, as we know, was victorious. Not my favorite person, but the lesser of two evils on the ticket. And we went through that in uh, – did we go through that in post-show musings? We talk about – I mean, we did a little bit during the episode itself, right, 99? Yes. I think it was post-show musings. Where we were talking about Zeldin and the things that he stands for. As a can- oh, well, I did a little bit in the show itself because Zeldin is really a – I mean, we talk about hard right and then there's alt right. Zeldin is the alt right. So even though he wasn't victorious, on a, re- on a local level, what you saw in New York State were districts that were, I think, fed up with Hochul being a weak candidate, sure, Zeldin being a little too nuts for them, okay, but they were perhaps more frustrated or in districts where the alignment was so that it favored Republicans. The reason for that is because they fucked up gerrymandering so badly that the courts had to intervene and take the Democratic maps away that they had drawn because it was an exercise in complete hubris in the way that the Democrats drew the map. And that's what you sometimes get when you have control of the state house and you have control of both sides of the houses. So they had the governor, they had the assembly, they had the Senate, and they had comfortable margins in both. Well, you know, sometimes the electorate doesn't like when you pull bullshit like that. And our state leader for the Democrats is a guy named Jay Jacobs, who is not a very strong leader. He's sort of like the results have sort of belied his capabilities up until this point. But I think this really kind of showed they have no bench. They split all the time with the progressives. And you're talking about New York State that has a healthy amount of progressives within the progressive. And I'm talking about true progressives within the caucus. They don't align well with them. They constantly try to undermine the progressives. They support uh, you know, moderate Democrats in primaries against very strong progressive races. They don't you know, they've obviously had a, a war with AOC and anybody that she brings on her team from New York. So leadership really fucking sucks in New York on the Democratic side. And now they're seeing the results of that, as opposed to a place like Vermont or New Hampshire that might say, listen, yeah, federally, we know what's up. But in our state, we're going to kind of keep a balance. So I, I see that as a long way of discussing maybe kind of what's happening in Georgia, where, like you said, Manny, not been blue for very long. People probably appreciate what Stacey Abrams brought to the table in terms of organizing. Hotlanta obviously showed up strong, but it wasn't enough to carry the entire state. And, you know, I imagine there's a lot of Georgians that are looking at this and saying, yeah, you know, Herschel Walker, not exactly who we want to see representing us for the next six fucking years. Right. But uh, we're not really ready to cede 
anything and everything that the Democrats want to do because we're not yet true believers. Shit's really expensive at the store. Yeah. Not really sure that, you know, we believe in your inflation reduction plan. Not really sure that you have the ethos that we want as, you know, as, as, a, as a base of voters here. Yeah. And I'm also going to say possibly, and this is all kind of speculation and anecdotal stuff, but, you know, there's a bit of, I think there, there might have been a bit of election Certainly election apathy is always a problem, but, you know, with Georgia, it was like, you got to vote and get us over the line last time. And it was like, okay, well, we got to do a runoff and we're we're the, you know, we have to do the runoff so we take control of the Senate. And then, you know, a a couple of years pass and it's like, Stacey Abrams is running again. And like, oh, yeah, it's fine. She got it. We're good. (laughs) You know, and and no, it's like we really had to turn out. I was looking at her uh, uh, Instagram or or something. It was two days before the election and she was at at a restaurant in Atlanta that was owned by Two Chains, the rapper. And she was doing a little, you know, speak, meet and greet. Uh, you know, town hall kind of thing, very small, but but it was packed and people were there. She was showing out and working the the streets, and and later on she was talking to a a young black man, might have been in his late twenties, early thirties, and this was filmed and shown. And she was talking to him, you know, real cool one on one in the street, like this is why I'm different. I'm the different candidate, uh, uh, implying that the guy asked, "Hey, what's so different anyway? You guys are all the same." Right. What's going to be different if we vote for you? And she went into her spiel and did her thing and it was great. It all made sense. And he seemed like he was like, okay, yeah, I kind of get it. But this is two days before the election. You're a young black voter in Atlanta and you're just now figuring out or being told or being messaged. Brian Kemp might not represent your interests. That's what I'm saying. So I know it's anecdotal. It's one thing. But it was like, how many of those guys, you know, people, you know, along those lines in that age range that were young, probably weren't going to vote, but maybe would have maybe maybe voted last time because it was so frantic and you kind of had to do it and just didn't this time because they didn't quite get it or hear it or hear it enough. And uh, and, and that was sort of uh, even though it was anecdotal it was sort of to me, it spoke to that. Uh, they they should have known. He shouldn't. We should know. They should know. Why don't they know? It was weird, you know, so. I'm just saying I think you should have a better phrase than she was out working the streets. <laughs> I mean, hey, hey whatever. Got to hustle. <laughs> Vote's <Yeah>. a vote. <laughs> but, Does uh, Wayne yeah. Brady have to choke a bitch? <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. That came uh, up on my feed again recently, and it's just it never I don't know that that whole thing just never fails to amuse me. Classic material. Uh, speaking of runoffs, though, of course, we know that the uh, what really looks like at this point, uh, we will have a Senate runoff. Uh, I think we it's don't, confirmed. Is, is it? it? Yeah, I think it just came in. Okay. Uh, we don't still know at this point. We'll know soon, I guess, or somewhat soon. The results of the uh, uh, Senate races in uh, Arizona and Nevada, which will. Tell us whether the Georgia runoff will once again uh, determine the outcome or, you know, the control of the Senate. One thing, I guess, just from listening to a lot of pontificators and such, uh, is that they did call Wisconsin, by the way, as well. Just ah, now. saw that. OK, so there we go. So we're in a dead heat. Forty eight to forty eight. Sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead, Manny. No, so I think that's how it, it's going to play out, that if, if Democrats don't win, uh, obviously, then Georgia will once again be the end-all, be-all. Uh, yeah. I think it fares pretty well for Democrats and for Warnock. I think the libertarian votes are, you know, that were there, which were 2%, 2% plus percent. Uh, oh, okay. So I, I have one of my notes written down here is there were a couple of heroes from the election. And one of the biggest heroes is uh, Chase Oliver. 
and I'd like to send ah. Chase a gift basket, Chase Oliver, the libertarian candidate in Georgia, who might have actually saved this election. Mm. Mm. So thank you to the libertarians. Interesting. We appreciate right. you. Right. Okay. So I think those votes will, you know, filter in a runoff, will filter over to Warnock side. And I think that, you know, people will lose the, well, I'm already voting for Kemp, so I might as well vote for, you know, Herschel, uh, you know, so I think it'll fare well in the, in the long run. The amount of money that's about to pour into Georgia oh, man. again is going to be staggering. I'm starting a food truck. <laughs> <laughs> Just get out there at all the rallies. <laughs> it's time to uh, start a food truck. Wait, yeah, paint half red and half blue and see who buys more from each side. Ah, Just get great. everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So we did Georgia here. Um, we'll talk about Arizona, I think, uh, as as we go further in, into the discussion. But, you know, we had two candidates that we were backing. And uh, 99, if you want to touch on that a little bit, obviously, we in our season of hell raising, fundraising and friend raising, we were trying to raise awareness also for two adopted candidates. One was a congressional race in Pennsylvania and the other, obviously, the high profile Senate race in Wisconsin. So 99, you were tracking those pretty closely last night. What did we see? Yeah. So we had one victory, hmm. which, hey, <laughs> it's one. So Summer Lee won. Yes. Fairly close. Margin, yeah. 55 to 43, roughly. Yeah, I mean, it's, we could talk about Pennsylvania and, and I, I think what was going on there, you know, for, <clears throat> for, they did as good, much Pennsylvania. As, they did. They, they, they really did. And, did and for right as thing. much as um, Florida is now, I think, gone. I mean, it's not going to be a battleground state anymore. We're not going to be talking about it. And, so, know, we have so, the Gen Z kid. So, someone said Florida is now just wet Texas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, th- listen, there will be standouts down there without a doubt. 99 is making a point that there, you know, there will be pockets. But I think on balance, we're looking at a f- uh, it, when we talk about the foreseeable future, we'll call it the next two ele- election cycles, maybe three. Florida's a red state. Just let them have at it and and live in their own miserableness. But if we can make that case, there might be a case to say that Pennsylvania is now a blue state. Mm. And I I want to talk about why in a little bit, because I think that there's some alignment between working class issues, between what was happening with the rebuke of the Trump wing of the party, but maybe just more of a progressive bent that's happening there uh, in to- in totality. So we'll we'll see how that plays out, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But the other race, obviously, that we were very hopeful for, which really would have changed the whole nature of this election and the so-called red wave that never happened, is in Wisconsin. Yeah. So right now, ninety nine percent are reporting that Johnson won over Barnes. I want to not believe it. <laughs> yeah. I- it's so close. One percent. That's enough margin of error. I saw the episode of Parks and Rec where Leslie <laughs> loses and then wins. Why can't that happen in real life? So my guess is that they have a they have a much better apparatus when it comes to counting. Uh, it's not Arizona and it's not, you know, some of the it's not Florida for sure. This is probably going to be what it's going to be. It's it's stunning to me. It's it's to me that it's, it's kind of a rebuke of Obama, 
everybody that kind of came through. When you talk about Wisconsin and Ohio and Michigan, it's sort of like the land of broken promises from both sides of the aisle and a question of whether the electorate, who who the electorate is in the mood to blame more. Um it's it's interesting to me that the that they didn't see it the same way that maybe Michigan voters did, which mm. is kind of strange that they kept Whitmer there, um, given its its uh, preponderance of militias. <laughs> it's or Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania is usually kind of lumped into that type of Rust Belt, mm. uh, you know, electorate as well. Uh, but Wisconsin, as a bellwether state, was the one I think that people were pinning their hopes on. A, just a torrent of money flooding in from both sides, but you had Obama coming in to do kind of these last minute heroics, and it and it wasn't enough. It fell flat. Very interesting to me that this is not the battleground that I think Democrats were hoping for this time around. I feel like it's hard to say that it fell flat. Just because it didn't succeed doesn't mean there weren't voters swayed. I think the fact that it's so close is actually hopeful. Yeah, I. It, Although, again, although, in, in a, go ahead. No, I was just saying, although Ron Johnson was kind of not liked anymore and wasn't sort of expected to do well a little, you know, well, again, this is what was fed to us that, you know, that this is going to be either close or born or, or an ups, not, an, I guess an upset in some, some, some ways, but it just didn't play out like that, but it's still very close and it was still uh, competitive. I think he's the most high profile election denier. I mean, remember, this is mm-hmm. the guy that was trying to hand deliver overthrowing the election to Pence as the insurrection was going on. I mean, he couldn't have less going for him as a as a reasonable person, but they, they rallied behind him, which, which, you know, these states are just all so fucking different. And you just it's hard to tell what was on their minds. I'd be very curious to see with exit polling and some, you know, kind of Monday morning quarterbacking in Wisco. We have a great presence in in Wisconsin, which uh, so I'm actually hopeful that the unfuckers as well will give us a lot of responses of what they were hearing on the ground, what they were seeing as they were going to the polls, what the what kind of what the last minute calculus was among independents and undecided voters that could have possibly looked at this and said, yeah, you know, Rojo's my guy. I, I can't kind of put the pieces together other than it being that's why I say other than it being a rebuke of Democrats for not seeing the problems clearly that they have on a daily basis. This has to be something more fundamental as a reflection of how they're feeling economically, whether they're uh, sort of fragile or, you know, thinking, I don't think that they were voting on the fate of our democracy, you know, as Biden would have hoped that they would. I don't think that they were voting necessarily uh, for, you know, election denying or or supporting Trump in any sort of way. I think Trump had a really, really fucking bad night, and we could talk about that as well. So I don't understand what the calculus was or what the last-minute thing was that got voters to where they were in Wisconsin, and, and it, I'd be curious to see what happens. I, I, I'll go ahead. No, you go. Okay. Um, no, you go. No. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's funny that I thought of this, and, and maybe this plays here, and maybe this just plays – Overall, is this one thing that I was dwelling on in a, in a in a state like Wisconsin, where you have an election denier? Now think of this overall in all of the last two years since this uh, elect since the presidential election, 
every night on the news, every night on especially, you know, I'm sure local news, but certainly on national news, you hear some election denying lunatic <laughs> in some aspect of government at some rally saying some controversial thing, posting a crazy tweet, you know, from the Marjorie Taylor Greens to the Kerry Lakes to the Ron, you know, Rojos. And I feel like those of those of us and certainly those who are on the other side of the political spectrum, sh- you know, shrug it off. Oh, they're crazy. They're lunatics. They're whatever. But in some ways, they're getting this message out repeatedly and, you know, and, and banging folks over the head with it. So that if you hear them say, you know, well, I don't even know about this election, whether it was you know, we still don't have any. And you're like, oh, God, the election already. But at the same time, they say and all the spending in Washington and inflation and the gas prices. But it gets on the news. It gets, mm-hmm. you know, even because they're talking about it sort of in a mocking manner or they'll, they'll have their roundtable discussion about it. And as we know, most voters are, are not as tuned in, plugged in as, as we are, as, as some others, as on fuckers. So they kind of just, on a, you know, they get this through osmosis that some of these things may not be really how you, you know, the, the hill you're going to die on, but you're going to hear these things. And I wonder if it tilts some folks in these states or in these regions or these areas where you hear a lot of election denial, you hear, you know, see it, you see the people, the talk, it's a bigger thing than in New York or, you know, even in Georgia. No question. And I, and I think no that, that that hurts. has an impact. It's like they're doing, you know, we always complain about the d- Democrats having terrible messaging. The Republicans, or, you know, especially the kind of right wing of the party have found out how to message every day, all day mm-hmm. through the media. Democrats have terrible messaging. Republicans have terrible messages. <laughs> yeah. But so I don't know. I, so I think like in a place like that where you have an election desires, a denier so front and center that that, you know, that rhetoric spills over to independence maybe or or low, I would say low information voter not to be insulting to anybody, sure. but someone doesn't take that that kind of information and they hear it. You know, my my older kids, you know, I have conversations with them about what they you know hear and what they understand and what they pick up. And it's, you know, they pick up whatever ads they saw. You know, and so yep. we're we're talking about Herschel Walker, and like, well, you know, things the man did in his personal life, you know, and I'm like, okay, fair to some degree, but the degree of what happened in his personal life, you know, but it's framed as it's an attack on my personal life, and that shouldn't be in politics, and that's kind of all they get without yeah. all the the nitty gritty, and so even folks who, if you explain to them, because then I break it down to them, and like, oh God, <laughs> never mind, you know. But again, most people aren't getting that information, so I just I just feel like that may be one of the factors in a place like Wisconsin. Ninety nine is exit polling conducted in the same way that like pre polls are conducted. Some of them, some of them, and and certainly in the battlegrounds, which is why I think that at some point we're going to see, uh, and there's going to be a lot of people that were on the ground there that that do really credible reporting. I know he's one of the names that we don't like to talk about, but Matt Taibbi did that after the Trump election uh, in 2020 and went into these battleground states to really tease out what the narrative actually was, and it was a lot simpler and, and and a lot more straightforward than, than a lot of people gave it credit for. But you got to go ask the questions and you got to talk to people on the ground because every state does have different circumstance. I mean, what's happening in Florida just couldn't be more different than what's happening in Wisconsin and what's happening in Washington state, period. Big country. Can can country. I take can I ask you, Max, take it back to Pennsylvania? Uh, you know, Georgia's sort of turning purple 
because of an influx of people moving to the state. You know, there's a lot of that mm-hmm. going on. There's a lot of, you know, Thank obviously, you <laughs> I'm trying, um, you know, folks who are uh, like a Stacey Abrams that is kind of a, a star in the ground movement, et cetera, et cetera. So things have happened there. But you mentioned Pennsylvania as sort of being, I guess, to me, like more of an organic uh, movement to the left, you know, is, is and you said you might talk about it a little bit more. I'm just curious, is, is there something happening there that that the I guess the progressives or the Democrats should look at and try to replicate in a place like Wisconsin because it's that a little bit more similar than you know a couple of big urban centers and very rural you know yeah well I think it's maybe more higher information voters combined with a real connection to the working class mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I think the Democrats have actually done well in Pennsylvania specifically, because when you think about, so uh, like Josh Shapiro has emerged as a star because he does maybe the best Barack Obama impression of any politician in the country right now. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to his stump speech where I think actually Obama was with them in Pennsylvania. Listen to Josh Shapiro's stump speech, close your eyes and tell me that it's not Barack Obama delivering it. And at the same time, he fucking trounced Mastriano in the state to win the governorship. So that's really good. He's a very bright guy. I'm not sure how progressive he is or will be. And in a state like Pennsylvania, to your question, to your point, the the things that won the day were Fetterman's core issues. And I think that's what we need to be talking about and focusing on as we go forward. The messages that carried the day in Pennsylvania that Shapiro was able to capitalize on and that a few of the, at least the urban center districts were able to carry the day with their House members, legal weed, pro-abortion, working class child, you know, tax credits to direct payments, support for the working class, protecting Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, The core progressive issues carried the day in Pennsylvania because Fetterman, as a as a figure, was able to connect with the working class in a way that most slick politicians are not able to Mm. in a way that, frankly, again, I I still bite the inside of my cheek when I when I say stuff like this. But we have to talk about Biden as well in a way that Biden was able to connect with working class voters because he actually was able to speak to them in a different way. And another element of speaking to the working class as a working class person like a Joe Biden or a Fetterman is support for unions. So union support, cannabis, social security, abortion, you go down the line in Pennsylvania, what carried the day were progressive issues And that's what the Democrats need to fucking pay attention to. If you look at the largest pluralities in the races in even a state like New York, that's a little shaky right now because of bad leadership. The ones that won the day were the real progressive candidates. Now, there's an outlier in Ithaca, but for the most part, real progressive candidates had the most resounding messages for the day. I have to wonder how much Fetterman's profile helped him because... Now, you know, I'm not I've tried to take us off Twitter, but in the Twitter days, the heyday, or it was probably also always a dumpster fire. But he was constantly 
making jokes, memes, baiting Oz. Like, he sort of became a pseudo-celebrity. And I even saw Mm. some commentary about it. Is that good? Is it opening himself to more, you know, criticism? Is it hero worship? But when you think about the people who are lightly involved, I guess I'm thinking people around my age, so late 20s, early 30s, who are like politics light, and they know the key players. They know Bernie. They know AOC. They know maybe it. That's and now they know Fetterman. So mm. was it partially name recognition? Was it that they felt sort of seen or it was like, yeah, that guy's funny. Yeah, he got Snooky to make a, you know, shitty hate video about Dr. Oz. Or not <laughs> shitty, but made him look shitty. So I think it's interesting to watch that moving forward, especially not that he's in the squad, but the parallels to the squad and how the squad rises and honestly falls because they're always the first to get blamed for something. We saw it recently when we talked about when AOC was at her uh, town hall and people were blaming her for the war. And right. it's like, she's right. just a rep. She's one of many people. But because she's risen to prominence in a way that is almost celebrity, she was at the Met Gala. I mean, what does that say? How does it help us? But also, how can it potentially hurt us in the future? I think when you connect with regular people in some way. Like AOC's superpower was speaking truth to power as a Latina. And she channeled that energy everywhere she went and she didn't walk away from it. And she could go hardcore working class discussions without getting involved in sounding, I guess, in the same class warfare style that a Bernie does. now. That's Bernie's brand. It works for him. But she's a fighter and she doesn't back down and she takes these head on and she's better at social. Was Fetterman's team better at social throughout the entire campaign? Absolutely. Did they have a lot of clay to mold because Oz was the stupidest candidate that they could have put out there? Absolutely. But that's why I'm more hopeful about what Pennsylvania shows us because the guy had a stroke performed very poorly at the most high-profile debate. They dumped a fuckload of money to try and beat him. And Dr. Oz, talk about celebrity culture, Mm. is a household name. And they still couldn't make it happen because they connected with the working class in a way that we're just sort of taking for granted in a lot of places. Mm. You know, we said it... We said it in... It was a rambling segment surprising which one that we had in maybe show notes or post-show musings (laughs) about this idea of the masculine republican right this whole c.s lewis style you know uh, alpha male mike alpha male tucker carlson documentary lewis yeah the the christian author that you know talks about masculinity and the narnia guy yeah yeah oh he's a fucking oh he's a big big uh right-wing hero he's dead I know. Yeah, but they constantly quote him. I mean, that's what Tucker Carlson oh. quotes when he's putting together his documentary. There's I don't a, know if you ever talked about this. Yeah, this is didn't this talk about that specifically, but we're talking about masculinity and being aligned with Republicans and how Tucker, you know, uh, you know, likes to to put that out there, especially with his, you know, bullshit documentary. Mm. But also how <laughs> <Yeah>. strength <laughs> is seen as a Republican virtue. Mm-hmm. 
the flag, the Mike Rowe type of person, roll up your sleeves, do the hard work, don't be a crier, put in your hours, put in the work, that kind of thing. It's it's a good, it's a message that the Democrats used to own when they owned the South and when they owned the middle of the country because they were able to connect with the working class. All of Obama's, when Obama blew apart the Democratic bench and then on the way out said, you know, we're in danger of losing our base because we look like coastal elite latte yeah. sipping, right? Yeah. Well, he was right. Mm-hmm. And he was also the person that did that to the Democratic <laughs> Party at right. the same time. But it doesn't make him wrong. That's where Fetterman steps in and looks like a dude that you probably know if you're in Pennsylvania. You've seen that guy a hundred times and he doesn't shrink from it or walk away. Just like if you're in the boogie down. You see AOC every single day and she's familiar to you and the way that she can speak and channel her outrage intelligently resonates with you because she's aspirational. You love the way that she she speaks. So I think it's a good thing. Well, two things. One, on Fetterman, I just want to say that it's also a huge win for the disability community because it brought prominence to this issue that hasn't been talked about in the political sphere. You know, we the models of disability we have in politics right now are people in wheelchairs. That's right. Which mm. is, you know, people are in wheelchairs. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but we don't really see these other type of invisible disabilities or in his case, slightly visible now. And, and also and, they're, they're often war heroes or, you know, so someone, you know, Right. You got Tammy Duckworth or, you know, eyepatch dude. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. So in, you know, noble, heroic, whatever. But (laughs) I just think it's really great that we're bringing this to prominence, having captions, having the questions ahead of time. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean you're lesser. So I think he's inadvertently by accident (laughs) setting Mm -hmm. a really great example. Yeah. And there are house members that have also had strokes and require assistive technology to do their jobs. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is a thing. So bringing light to he's it, he's shown a light on it, and, yeah. and it's it's better. And yeah, yeah and, and and you're not gonna, and you're still not gonna talk shit to him because he's big as hell. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And the the second thing, it's just interesting. You're saying, you know, people in the Bronx see AOC, people in Pennsylvania see Fetterman, so naturally they're drawn to them. But it doesn't always work like that because we can see, you know in areas that are predominantly one culture, voting for white Republican people who don't have their best interests in heart. So even if they see a better- But they can see themselves. The electorate can see themselves in that candidate and that can carry the day. So you're- And I think that's been a a miscalculation on the Democrats' part is that they've been so so afraid to reflect the voting population and taking a chance on progressives that really represent- like. Ayanna Presley, you know, su- uh, suffering from alopecia and deciding to just be beautiful and, and go out there. That resonated with people in a way that we can't really mm. kind of wrap our minds around. And it's a ref- so it's like when you when you look at the uh, every year they post the intern photographs from yeah. the, from the Congress and the Democrats post theirs and it looks like America and the Republicans <laughs> post theirs and it looks like the Hamptons like that's. That's on brand and okay for the Republicans, but the Democrats try to walk away from that all the time, and it doesn't make sense. But I'm talking about like, let's use the Trump constituency, like Latinos for Trump, or like 
black people for Trump. They don't see themselves physically in Trump. Trump's not a guy they know, but there's still these people. I don't, these people sounds bad in that context, but there are people who are voting for these people who don't have their best interests mm -hmm. at heart, like we talk about all the time, even if they look like them or don't look like them. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like a correlation we can make when it works. Well, the black vote is a monolith in this country, and I'm sorry to say that in <laughs> such a way, but it because they vote at almost 90 percent, fair to say, I think if it's if it's not 90 percent, it's high 80s across the board. Um, it is a monolith voting block, and that's why they're treated as a monolith when you look at campaign materials or the amount of money that's poured into certain districts. The Latino question is a very different thing. It's a very different thing. And and actually, I think uh, I don't like him all that much, but Chuck Todd was kind of making this point in in a, in a really, um, let's just say, in, in a very clumsy way. He was like, man, one of the big takeaways for me is that not all Latinos are the same. I mean, he was literally <laughs> saying it like that, like it was a fucking, he was just like discovering. Revelation. You know, yeah, incredible. I, I also think that the, the Trump can now announce that he make that, that I, it's one of the weirdest things that this supposedly billionaire that sits on gold toilets is for the working man, but sure. he also comes out like a you know like a trash mouth you know round the way guy that doesn't there he so it's not they see there him physically or even in status, but it's that brashness that they supposedly loved about him uh, that made him seem like. Uh, you know, like one of us, hey, you have a beer with this guy, you know, he's going to, you know, and he's an idiot and he's not, mm -hmm. you know, because they're not looking at the policies. They're not looking that deep. They're just looking at surface level. Right. Which is that's all fine. And that was just one example. I yeah. just mean, I feel like it's hard to to draw the correlation yeah. across the board. Well, so so let's distinguish between a presidential candidate and then mm. a district candidate or even a Senate race, because. Trump was channeling a different energy. Presidential elections have a different energy sure. and there's a different calculation That's to it. Point. Whereas at, on an, I guess my, my point is at a district level, be who your district is, reflect back the district and the values that they have. And you'll probably do better than you anticipated if you're a Democrat. Right. If they eat That's crudite, fair. then eat crudite. Right. right. You know, again, if they don't eat crudite, Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm so, I'm so proud that I didn't know what the fuck crudite was until what? this happened. I didn't. That's a I, staple at Jewish holidays. Just I was in catering, so. Just yeah. didn't know. At, at Jewish I've holidays? Known what, I've known what crudite was since before I could I speak. Go, I've been to very many uh, Jewish holidays, and it's probably well, not like been Shabbat. there. But it just, that's not, I didn't know what that was called. Well, you're uncultured. <laughs> I am definitely very uncultured. I am very un-multicultural. <laughs> All right, so let, let's look at a few other important races for us that that we've been looking at. Uh, first Wy of all, Wiley in... Coyote. Ver oh no, we'll come back to that later. <laughs> Bobert. Um, ooh, I was gonna get to Bobert. Let me ask you. Me? Did they call it? I don't think so yet, but it's looking pretty good. I think a few people might have called it, but it not like writ large. Ninety percent in right now. Um, and yeah, I mean, Frisch is up by. Almost four thousand votes. They still have it as leaning Republican, which makes me wonder what's not in of that ten percent. Hard to imagine that she makes up another three to four thousand votes in what's left outstanding. I think other publications called it though, or have For it leaning, Frisch? or have it leaning blue. I just feel like the Times hasn't updated it. <laughs> they were on Majority Report last night. They were talking about 
the happiest person in Congress today if Bobert loses is going to be Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is about. also interesting. Women I, not supporting women. I, I heard someone saying, I don't know where you were going with this, Max. I didn't mean to cut off your train of thought. Uh, okay. But I'm just curious what this might mean if you say, if it happens like you say, which some, a lot of people are saying, a lot of people, a lot of people saying this, uh, that there will be a slight majority in the House which doesn't necessarily mean a McCarthy as a speaker. In other words, a larger... Meaning that they might actually get together and elect somebody different? Yeah. Joseph McCarthy? Um, <laughs> Joseph McCarthy, back? he of Wisconsin. Uh, some, so again, some great lore again about Wisco. That would be good for us to have him. So <laughs> he said, I... Shut up. <laughs> I see them lining up lockstep behind McCarthy. He's got the time in the game. He distances distanced himself from Trump, then sucked back up to Trump. He's got he sort of had like one foot in both camps. Some stuff is leaked about how he how he really felt about January sixth, which was he was horrified at the whole thing. Um, yeah, they all were because they're all running for, for their yeah, lives, except for Hawley, who's like, "This is great." <laughs> Um, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> so listen, I mean, listen, I guess anything is possible. I couldn't off the top of my head name anybody that would have the the base of support or wherewithal to mount an opposition to him. Mm. I, I, unless there's somebody that comes to mind that I'm missing here. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that much uh, to know, but I just I remember hearing of some folks talking about it and, and thought it was an interesting twist. And of course, now you're going to have Trump. Uh, this I also heard. I'm just repeating things I heard other people say um, mm -hmm. that, uh, of course, Trump is now going to blame the loss of all his handpicked candidates on Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> you know, and and Mitch McConnell and Mitch McConnell. Well, yeah, somehow Ron DeSantis just because it'll <laughs> it'll work for him. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, as, toward the end, we can talk about uh, whether or not this was sort of the death knell for Trump. But mm. um, a couple more things to point out, only because we've covered them along the way or they have been important to unfuckers. It looks like um, Andrea Salinas will be victorious in Oregon. Remember, that was the newly created district in Oregon, and it was hard fought because they were trying to un unseat the odds-on progressive favorite being Salinas for that position, and the Democrats were kind of rallying against her. Um, so she has, as a progressive, it looks like, gone on to be victorious in that seat. And just because even though he was safe all along, I have to mention it, that uh, our man Earl Bloomy Blumenauer <laughs> yes. was so safe, he won 70% of the vote. So Oregon doing its job, coming across the finish line for two really great candidates there. In Colorado, we have the Frisch Bobert thing. We'll see how that shakes out. Uh, if 99 is pulling from, I'm looking at the Times, 99 seems to have seen somewhere else where they actually did call it, and that's good. And uh, Bobert being out of Congress will be great so that she can just live with the consequences of her actions in business <laughs> and spend the rest of her life in court. Right. Uh, sadly, think, though. Don't think about what you've done. <laughs> uh, sadly, though, in Colorado, mm. I'm having trouble saying Colorado today. In Colorado, we have a loss for David Torres. Now, David Torres ah. was really another 
uh, pet unfucking the Republic candidate that we were really pulling for because there was a lot of energy coming out of uh, uh, Stifler's mama and Stifler's dad uh, who were, I mean, just doing incredible work on the ground to try and get Torres. And we had a chance to look at a, at a, a lot of stuff that Torres was doing there. Great candidate. Even though it wasn't victorious, hope he stays in and uh, gives us another shot because you never know what's going to happen down the road now that he has some name recognition. Um, so put up a good fight, a little over 40%, but uh, ultimately not victorious. So we're sending our uh, sympathy out to the Torres campaign and uh, thinking about our Colorado unfuckers. Yes, now, we also have in Ohio. Ohio's fucked because you see one half of Peter Thiel's gambit uh, be successful. We could talk about this again and and why that is. Uh, Marcy Kaptur, though, was able to hold her seat. Now, that is very fucking important because Marcy Kaptur has been around a long time. She is a reliable left Democrat, even though I wouldn't call her a progressive but she is somebody that can get shit done. She has been remarkable over the years in because she's able to she's able to move legislation forward. She's an important figure. So, you know, you have these standouts in Congress that soak up a lot of the energy in the room and they and they, you know, they chew the scenery whenever they're there. So you can think about an AOC in that in that respect. Then you've got the Gottheimer wing of the party that we can't stand, obviously, because they're basically just saying, well, how can we do the the least amount for the Democrats and keep ourselves safe with moderate Republicans and be acceptable to both sides? Then you have the middle, and that's where Marcy Kaptur lives. Marcy Kaptur, to me, is the example of the person that you need in Congress to just do the lifting and to do that type of heavy work. She's going to be reliable and smart and a deal maker, and that's what a true Ohio Democrat looks like. We can't have progressives in every seat across the country. And that's something that unfuckers have been really sure to remind us of as we as we do our work here, that it's simply not possible because of just how the country is and and the perspective that people come from, nor do we necessarily want an entirely progressive uh, state be, or, or country because, again, anything that's one-sided the whole way loses perspective and balance and then leads to corruption. But you need the captors of the world you also have Chantel Brown, who unfortunately, you know, defeated Nina Turner and became the Democratic candidate in Ohio. But at least Chantel Brown is there, has said that she will try to align with the Progressive Caucus. And that is a good lead in to talk about now why I think that this was a great night. On balance, why I think it was a great night. Even though we might lose the House, we're probably going to hold. 50-50 in the Senate, which will allow for a couple of things. First of all, judges. So the legislative agenda of a first-term president always happens in the first two years. And again, we'll talk a little bit about this, but well, actually, let's do it now. Let's talk about Biden's first couple of years, because this is the referendum on Biden as much as it is the bellwether for where the country thinks it should go in two years from now, right? Right now, it'll be a toss-up for who's going to be at the top of the ticket and which way Republicans, Democrats, are, how they're going to fare based on the economy or any unforeseen circumstances in the next couple of years. But it doesn't tell us whether there is a clear path or momentum for the next election. 
But what it does tell us is that the predictions for the red wave fell flat because here's what Biden did right in the first two years legislatively. He expunged the records and set free 6,500 incarcerated uh, victims of the war on drugs at the federal level. So he pardoned and cleared them and expunged their records. That's 6,500 people who were caught up in the death spiral at the height of uh, the war on drugs, people that did not commit. These are low-level, nonviolent offenders who were caught up in the war on drugs. That was huge. He also, whether this matters psychologically for people or not when they're actually pulling, when they're going to the polls, he has limited drone use and made it harder to deploy drones in service of the war machine. Now, we are funding the war machine, not saying anything about that, but we are, on, we are murdering fewer people by <laughs> drone strikes. Yay. In extrajudicial, <laughs> unconstitutional warfare that is in violation of all international laws and norms. That is a first in many, many, many years. So whether it was pre-drone, post-drone, whatever it is, he has been the most peaceful sitting president that we've had in a very long fucking time. And you have to give credit where credit is due. Does that factor in at the ballot box? I don't know. But I do know this. It's not a distraction. So the fewer distractions you have, the fewer things that people can point to from the progressive wing of the party to say you're fucking this up and stop it. This is why we this is why we do what we do. Mm. The more coalescence you're going to have among the, the that side of the party. He's also the most in words only, and we'll see how this plays out over time, pro-union president that we've had since maybe LBJ. Now think about that for a second. Think about how fucking long that is, right? Scranton Joe is demonstrably pro-union in his words and in some respects his actions, even though it was clear he wasn't going to get enough support for the PRO Act to put a lot of his first term energy behind it. So there's what you say and what you do. I'm going to give him like a little bit of a nod that he's more pro-union than not, even though there's a lot more that he could have, should have done in his first two years. The climate investment between the two acts that he passed is historic. Is it enough? No. Is it historic? By a fucking mile. We have to give credit where credit is due. The Medicare negotiation why they didn't do it immediately to be able to to negotiate for prescription drug prices, I don't know. That to me is still mystifying. But at some point, they're going to maintain the ability to negotiate pricing for prescription drugs, and they're going to put a cap on insulin and a cap on out-of-pocket for all prescription drugs for seniors. You talk about, like, everybody was talking about the youth showing up at the polls. Well, guess what? Seniors show up for fucking sure every time, all the time. And that is a ballot pulling initiative. He did that right. He got that right. The Democrats got that right. It surprised the fuck out of me when they got it done and put it into the Inflation Reduction Act. But it was super important. And I think that 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 might have carried more than people are giving credit for. And they were able to increase standards around background checks, at least get something done. Did not get a full assault weapons ban. Didn't get a lot of the things that we're looking for that could have been rolled out on a statewide basis. 
but they did get that done. And of course, they were able to channel the energy of what the Supreme Court did. Now, that's not something that Biden did. It's something that became a factor. But without these other factors, I'm not sure that the Democrats show up as well. I don't think that every single Democrat that showed up was pulling it, was pulling the lever in support of Democrats because of what the Supreme Court did. Did it help? Did it get them out? Absolutely. But it's these other things that we can't look back on. He had a good first two years. Now, what didn't get done that was super important? Immigration reform, extending the child direct payments, really true gun reform and an assault weapons ban, the PRO Act, statehood for D.C. or Puerto Rico, ending the filibuster, campaign finance reform. So these were important core democracy stabilizing issues that did not get done. So what does this election mean? It means that they're not going to get done. So this is a wrap. What we have is what we have is what we have. So you can look when you think about the Biden presidency and maybe it's two terms. Oh, my God. I don't know. Odds are it's it's this term, right? When you look at this Biden presidency, you're going to look that he got more progressive measures done than Barack Obama did, than Bill Clinton did. Maybe Jimmy Carter. We're going to litigate Carter pretty soon. We have to at least say that he he kept up his end of the bargain domestically to the best of his capabilities. I think he stretched as far as Joe Biden was ever going to stretch. It's still never going to be enough for us on the progressive side, but we got to give credit where credit's and, due. And to your repetitive point, if not for the progressive voices pushing all of these years. Yes. Yeah. That this That's even exactly even right. those things wouldn't have gotten done. Yes. All hail progressives and all hail Nettie. So there's hope, people. There's hope. Okay. So let me do some numbers for you for when, because we're talking about progressives. Who won last night? Me. Me too. 99 won the day because she finished the parent trap. Manny won the day because all of his children voted. Even the babies. And kept. Almost all. At least kept us in the hunt in Georgia. That's true. That's true. So Rashida Tlaib won. AOC won by a fucking historic blowout, <laughs> despite everybody saying that, oh, maybe even AOC, please. Why, why even run against her? <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Ayanna Presley in Massachusetts won. <clears throat> Pramila Jayapal won in Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elon Omar won in Minnesota. That's big. That's Just say big. the squad. They won. Yeah. Cori Bush won and Jamal Bowman won. Nice. So that is the squad proper. Who was added to the squad? Now, this is where it gets interesting. We added Summer Lee. That's big. Yes. That's really big. Pop-off queen. Pop-off queen, indeed. (laughs) Why was hers so important beyond just joining the squad? Because she beat back her own party, and she beat back APAC in the process. Mm, A lot of money. Every one of these victories is a fucking roadmap that we have to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And again, all eyes on Pennsylvania. She beat back APAC with a progressive message and beat back the Democrats with a progressive message, mm-hmm. right? And don't forget, she was running against someone whose name was the same as the person and she in was the right. role. <laughs> exactly right. I was do, do doing research. That? 
We talked about it and I forgotten and I was doing research and I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Because <laughs> it was like the one running, his wife was one name. And then the one sitting is completely different. And I was like, how did they get this so wrong? It's on. And then I was like, oh, yeah, but. That's, That's weird. Right. It is very, very weird. It's almost as she weird as so much as, going against her. It's, it's almost as weird as Taylor. L- L- what's his name? The guy from Twilight. Lautner. Yeah. Who's marrying a woman named Taylor. Mm. So they're both going to be. It should be illegal. It's it's spelled the same way. And so it's going to be Taylor and Taylor. Taylor. L- 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 I almost just said my real name because I was going to say <laughs> I could marry someone with that name. It's unisex. Is it? Technically, I've met. Many. I don't know. No, you have not. I don't know any other Francescas. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I've met two, two men with that name. Really? I've. N- it's more common now. Hmm. All right. That's okay, guys. My real name is Betty. Yep, Betty, like for the Taylor Swift song. Nice. I've never met a female Manny. I've no never met Manny from Manny. Degrassi. Oh. Her name was Emmanuel, and um, like Emmanuel Shariki. Oh, the, the really? Actress. Oh, well then, yeah. I'm sure people call her Manny. Hmm. Yeah. Manny. Manny. Not man. Manny. Max can go both ways. Max can be anything. Sure, right? sure. Max from Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay. So Summer Lee, <laughs> again, it's a roadmap. Fetterman, Summer Lee, mm. and then Josh Shapiro. These are roadmaps. <laughs> Just call him Josh. Josh. <laughs> <laughs> These are roadmaps that we have to look at as progressives and left-leaning Democrats. Greg Kassar in Texas. Mm. I think he has Austin. Not totally sure about that. Oh, well, that's easy. Which would, which would make sense. <laughs> that's, that's a gimme. But it's not a Democrat in yeah. Texas. It is a true progressive in Texas. Delia Ramirez in Illinois. Mm. Max Frost in Florida. Yeah. that's a Jonathan Jackson also in Illinois. JJ. And then Becca Boland in Vermont. These are all backed progressives that are part of the um well they were all they they all come from the same organizations and they had the the backing of the same progressive coalitions uh, across the country. So verified progressive candidates. What do people do when they govern, when they vote? I mean that's a totally different thing. But new members of the squad, if we look at the squad and say these are people who are diverse and represent diverse opinions and diverse parts of the country, but have definitive progressive values. That's on top of Barbara Lee, who also won, thank God, and may she win for life for as long as she wants to be mm-hmm. there. Jamie Raskin, who is emerging as the true statesperson and thought leader of the Democratic Party. Um, I'm going to say, even though it has not been called as of yet on my screen, that Katie Porter is going to carry, right? I'm looking at it right now. I was seeing where it was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying that Katie Porter, Katie Porter carries the district because I love, I love Katie Porter. Yeah. And, and she, this is a battleground. I mean, it's going to be, when it's all tallied up, it's going to be close, but hopefully she wins. That's on top of also Ro Khanna. Mm Mm-hmm. Now add in Blumenauer, hopefully Salinas in Oregon as well, who will you know govern and vote to the left. Mark Pocan, who's I think the head right now of the Progressive Caucus for the House. That is the core 
right there of the progressive caucus and across the board. Again, we don't know about the new people, although obviously our show is in love with Summer Lee. We have to trust that the progressives had done the correct vetting to have put these other candidates off. And and by the way, there were a bunch of progressives that lost. I'm not trying to say, say that like, they what's ran the, the net? table. Did we have a net gain? More, Yes, more won than lost. Yeah. And then there was a net gain of certainly progressives to add to the caucus. I'm not standing behind the caucus entirely because as we've talked about before, we've got you know members of the caucus that just signed on to say that they were part of it, but don't necessarily vote that way. But when you actually look at their voting records, how much they lean toward progressive issues and how much they voted with the progressives, those are the people right there at the top that are aligned 95% of the time or more. You talk about the cream of the crop of the Democratic Party. In my opinion, the cream of the crop of the entire Democratic Party, not just progressives, but the entire fucking party. These are the people that are, they're the smartest, they're the most well-versed, they are hard-charging campaigners, and they are most ethnically, culturally, and uh, gender diverse in the whole country. This is the future of the fucking party. And if they don't wake up to it, they're going to wake up someday and see that state house by state house, district by district, the progressives are going to mount the challenge and they're going to take over the party no matter what. So fucking get on board. Get on board. Now, just to go back to Wisco for a second. I was just looking to see if there was any concession. So just to add a little historical context, because I was thinking about this heading into last night, I was worried about this. I wasn't worried about Warnock. And I think that's just my bias to how shitty of a candidate Herschel Walker was. I just didn't see anybody racing to the polls to be like, that's my guy. Uh, I tell you, they would have voted for a potato. Yes. Would have are. And they did. They did. Yeah, 99 showing me uh, and giving the finger to Henry Cuellar, who who won Ah. a really healthy margin, too. Um, But Wisconsin has a weird fucking history. So, again, this is sort of our adopted state. So we're originally all here New Yorkers. We've got one foot in New Jersey as much as we don't like to talk about it because (laughs) Manny spent some time in a brick city. And then, of course, now we've got uh, Georgia on our side because Manny moved uh, him and uh, 17 of his uh, 34 kids to Georgia. That's about right. But Wisconsin is our adopted home. It's the home of Nettie. It's the home of Knudsen. It's the home of McFleshman's Brewery. We've chosen to take on Wisconsin as sort of like their uh, sort of the heart of what we talk about here in Unfucking the Republic. Except for veganism. <laughs> Except for the veganism because lots of cheese still, right? Big thing there. Okay, um, more, more for us. But Ron Johnson came to office by beating Russ Feingold by like 100,000 votes in 2010. Yes, we were in the recession. Yes, that was the big Obama rebuke in the first midterms. I mean, he got shellacked. But 100,000 votes is a lot. More than that, Russ Feingold was a big fucking deal. Russ Feingold was a seriously, he had a very, very high profile within the Democratic Party and then nationally. Uh, And a lot of that is because Feingold McCain, campaign finance reform, he he was seen as a deal maker, was able to tether himself to some really important initiatives, and Rojo took his seat. 
Then again, he beat Feingold by another 100,000 votes when Feingold tried to take the seat back in 2016. Again, not a good year for Democrats as well. Feingold, maybe not the master of timing. But Wisconsin is, has, has tolerated Ron Johnson for, for now 12 years, and they're giving him another six. They're highly tolerant of some very, specific, very suspicious people. It is the home to Joseph McCarthy. But then again, it's also the home to Robert LaFollette, who was the true titular head of the progressives early in the 20th century. Wisconsin will ebb and it will flow. And to me, going forward, will be one of the true bellwether states. We've got uh, Tammy Baldwin, who is the, the other senator in Wisconsin, who has won by very healthy margins in her races. So they... It's such an interesting state because they have a high threshold for pain, and then they have like a reasonable side to them as well. But if any place really, to me, channels the future of the you know the political civil war in this country, it's amazingly, I think, that the state that we've adopted, and it is Wisconsin. So, just wanted to offer that little you know political history for a minute because. One of the most famous and important progressives in the history of the progressive movements in La Follette came from Wisconsin, and one of the biggest fucking democracy-ending assholes in uh, McCarthy also came from Wisconsin. So anyway, so Fetterman goes in Warnock, my guess is, does outperforms Walker in a runoff, so maybe by December... We're looking at a 50-50, which allows Biden to, and, and of course, this assumes that uh, either Nevada or Arizona goes for a Democrat. And, you know, my guess is Mark Kelly, um, you know, maintains the lead over, over Blake Masters and, and gives Peter Thiel at least half of, a, uh, half of a loss. Even J.D. Vance goes in, Blake Masters goes out. J.D. Vance, much higher profile, has nothing to do with Trump, has nothing to do with Thiel. J.D. Vance, he of Hillbilly Elegy, also a very good campaigner, cuts a very moderate figure, was a, a wonderkind within the Republican Party, uh, criticizing Trump and then being a Trump supporter. He's walked a fine line. He kept up a national profile and had a little more separation from Peter Thiel. And uh, clearly talking too much because the cops are coming to get me right now. <laughs> so... What does this pretend if they do split? Let's say Republicans take the House. We're going to have gridlock. You know who's going to love gridlock? Traffic cops. Yes. You know who else <laughs> is going to love gridlock? <laughs> Wall Street. Uh, so this will be good. Wall Street loves gridlock. It's their favorite thing because everything stays the same. There's going to be no threat to income tax thresholds or mm. investment tax thresholds. Mm. And that will be very good for them as we work through whatever uh, whatever remaining bullshit there is in the recession, not recession coming forward. So the next two years, I think, will be better for Wall Street than, than people predict. And this should be good for Biden to resume uh, appointing judges. So this is a this is not often talked about at the at the high levels, but you know the there are plenty of people that are talking about how many judges he's been able to appoint. It has fallen off dramatically since the summer. He had a very good clip and a very good pace, mostly re 
replacing retiring judges in because that happens. Obviously, there's there's always a tenure where there are judges retiring, and you want to replace the outgoing with the with the incoming. And he was able to sort of stabilize the base of 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 judges. If ever you were wondering how important or why that's important, well, take a look at who reviews these state cases and what the federal what the federal judgeships look like and the things that they're these are the ones that do wind up looking at election fraud and 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 certifying these things. These are the ones that are going to be looking at the statewide constitution initiatives to either ban or abortion or you know go with the with the Supreme Court standard. So these are the ones that are going to be looking at any sort of challenges to marijuana legalization, et cetera. These are extremely important positions. We needed Biden to have two more years to have at it with federal judges, and hopefully, hopefully they can get that done going in with 50-50. Best case scenario is Nevada gets its shit together. All of Las Vegas comes in. Maybe they take Nevada. Maybe they take Arizona, and then they win in a runoff in Georgia, and they actually have a clear majority. And still, if anybody decides to flip or go over to the other side, you've still got then 50-50, and of course, you've got the tie-breaking vote with the vice president. In that instance, getting judges appointed will be number one priority for Biden as they try to spend the money that they have now allocated through the infrastructure, through the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Act. Getting that money to flow through the economy so that work gets done, contractors are busy, and we start the process of building resiliency into the into our climate initiatives. These things will be massively important. Maintaining the Senate allows him to at least govern on what was already done and appoint those judges going forward. So there is a lot of good news to report here. More great progressives joining the squad and tacking on, maybe them being able to continue to appoint these federal judges, and then also being able to implement fully student debt relief, all of the spending from infrastructure, all of the spending for the Inflation Reduction Act. So those that's the good news. The bad news is, well, let's see. What do we think the worst news is here? Personally, I feel like the, the worst news for, for us, for, for me in 99, is what's going on in New York. Um, the Democrats have fucked this up from an organizational perspective so badly that I'm not, it's going to take a little while to bring it back. And it was a bad news scenario. <clears throat> Pardon me, whether Zeldin won or whether Hochul won, but it's less bad news, of course, that that Hochul has has won the day. But I don't know how much she's going to be able to rally the troops, to organize on the ground, to help build a bench and a ground game. She's certainly not going to align with the progressives in, and we're not going to build any sort of new progressive foundation so long as she's there and Jay Jacobs stays at the helm as the Democratic leader. Does she even care to? I don't think so. So... <laughs> I feel like that's the big question or the first question. Would she want to? And then yes or no, it's like one of those charts. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think so. I mean, the, listen, again, the good news is the bail reform will be safe for now. Um, also good news, actually, that came out of New York is that uh, we had a bond issue pass. Now, this bond issue was to help New York hold up its end of the bargain for the initiatives commanded by the IPCC. So it's not just enough for the federal government to do what it's got to do. As we've talked about in our climate industrial complex episode, the states really have to pony up. California is so far ahead of the game in doing this. New York really needed to show up. It's a couple billion dollar 
bond referendum that passed by a pretty wide margin. Again, it shows you that at its core, New York is not afraid to spend its money and the voters do think that the that climate is important and on the ballot. So they're going to spend the money. One of the things that they're going to do is they're going to be replacing every single school bus in the state and making sure that they are clean energy buses. That's huge. That's the kind of like you don't think about it or see it coming kind of ground game initiative that actually makes a demonstrable impact on climate and on emissions. But it's also going to be for coastal resilience. So anybody that's downstate living on, living uh, in uh, any of the boroughs or heading all the way out uh, on Long Island, these will be really important initiatives for them as well. There's also a provision in there to preserve a shit ton of land. I'm not sure that that needed to be done as part of this referendum because I don't think there's a lot of people looking to break ground in New York State right now in the areas that they're going to look to preserve. But to me, it never hurts to preserve that land in perpetuity because it means that, you know, if New York ever gets on a hot streak again looking to build manufacturing or anything like that, that there are parts of this state that just will remain untouched. Very important for our water supply, very important for obviously capping emissions at some point. So I think that's all good stuff. Now, the downside... Actually, I'm going to talk about a couple more positive things, and then we'll get into show notes. Early voting is here to stay. Early voting was a big deal this year, and every election cycle gets to be an even bigger and bigger deal. The upside of the Republicans making uh, campaign fraud and election fraud such a prominent issue is that it has now led to these elections being spectacle. More oversight, more cameras, more access to the public, more transparency, more money being spent to shore these things up. They might have done themselves a disservice here because they actually might have made an already very tight process more resilient and more transparent and more stable because it's going to be very, very hard to challenge any of these elections because they were so closely watched. So thanks for that, guys. (laughs) You did did great work. The other thing that they did, though, is they made early voting really stick. There was an initiative I remember years ago that uh, called Why Tuesday. And I can't remember who started it, but Why Tuesday was a really smart thing, asking the question, why do we vote on Tuesday and why is it not a holiday? Why aren't we doing more to encourage turnout? Well, this might answer why Tuesday, you know, this might say, yeah, fuck it, keep it Tuesday, because as long as it's Tuesday to Tuesday, it don't matter. So now you're looking at ballots being certified earlier, counts being more verified and more obvious and greater access, because if you work two jobs and you have and you're doing shift work and maybe you're driving around, you don't know when you're going to get to the polls on Tuesday, there's going to be lineups at the door. Early voting has been a godsend. I early voted. Thanks, COVID. Can I tell you my embarrassing story now of voting? Sure. Then I'll tell you how I was lightly voter suppressed. Oh, you start. That's <laughs> way more important. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't call it full voter suppression, but I went to early vote. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's different. What I texted you about, yeah. that's different. I can, okay, I can talk about that after as well. I went to early vote. 
I'm still registered on Long Island. Should I say that? Do we say that? I feel like it's obvious at this point, right? Okay. I'm still registered here where my parents live instead of in the city where I live. So I went to early vote. I'm still registered where my parents live and not in the city where I live currently. So I went to early vote. I don't want to have to come all the way back here, whatever. So I'm looking up what's closest to our office. So there was one that was like seven minutes away. I put in the address and I get there and it's like definitely not the right place. So the one that happened to be closest was a Jewish center. So I was like, my people, perfect. So there is a Jewish center and then a JCC very close to each other. So it had the name of the Jewish center, but the or it had the the name of the JCC, but the address of the Jewish center. So how many people pulled in there and were like, where is this? Not knowing, like I know the area lightly, so I knew it was there. So it wasn't full voter suppression, but I'm like, you couldn't get that right on the website? Isn't that very odd? Manny, do we tell her? <laughs> this has been going on for years. This is yeah. the culmination of, uh, of a lot of efforts to suppress the Jewish vote. Trying. Is this real? So if she figured it out, do you think the others did? I don't know. Ask Kyrie. Well, I was the youngest person I saw. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, That's funny. Okay, so continue. Well, what did you say? What did Manny say? He said, ask Kyrie Irving. Oh. I still don't get it. (laughs) It's even better. Um, You'll just be triggered. Don't worry. Okay. We'll tell you later. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so- I was the youngest person I saw and maybe older people who don't know the area or young people wouldn't have figured it out. And that was upsetting. Well, to be fair, we send our Jews off into the wild and they only come back here uh, as <laughs> older people to become altacacas, right? Okay, sure. Yeah. I don't know that word. An old Jew is an altacaca. I don't know it. No? No. Oh, look mm. at me bringing in the Yiddish. Good for me. <laughs> well, the <clears throat> second one was my roommate who is registered in the city. And we very clearly live in one district. Like, yeah. the website says it. I've typed in my address. I did it on headcount. I looked a zillion times to double check because she and she ran into our neighbors there. They all voted for a different district. I don't know why. What is that? I don't, I still don't get it. I can't figure it out. It it's makes almost no worth sense. calling the board of elections at some point to ask them what the fuck. I told her like, should we report it or ask? And I think, I think she was not upset, but like nervous that she didn't get to vote for who she wanted to. And mm-hmm. I think she just was like, let's wait. The person we wanted to win did win, so it's like okay. You know, it's it's kind of fine, but very strange. <laughs> yes, very strange. Indeed. Like I looked. A thousand times. And I thought maybe, okay, it was redistricted because there was redistricting last year, but I didn't remember it affecting us and it didn't. But I was like, maybe this isn't updated, but across the board. So two in one house. Interesting. Two mm. voter suppressed gals. Two girls. One voter suppression. Went fine for me because I'm white. <laughs> 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 Breaking news in Georgia. <laughs> no problems well, I, here. Um, I made a big deal uh, when 99 asked me if I was going to early vote. I was like, no, 
because I love all the pomp and circumstance and pageantry of election day. It is my Super Bowl. I wake up in a really good mood. I make coffee and I sit around and I think about what's going to happen that day. And then I get all dressed up and I go down and I vote at my local school. And then I come back and I am all a titter all day long. I really, truly am. And then I watch everything all night long. And I'm never happier, no matter what the outcome, than I am on election night. It's my favorite fucking night of the year. And I also like going to the bake sale. So I told 99, I was like, no, I'm voting in person because it's what I do and I'm old and I like it and I like to go to the bake sale and I'm gonna get cupcakes this year and I'm so excited. And so I went there and I voted and I saw all my friends and the poll workers, hi, 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 how you doing? Good to see you, see you next time. Hey, maybe we'll get lucky and get a special election. Ha ha ha, small talk, small talk. Got my little sticker and I went over to the bake sale. And I said to the ladies behind the bake sale uh, table, hey, a friend of mine asked if I was going to early vote. And I was like, no way. I would never miss the bake sale. And they laughed and they were like, well, you could have early voted and still come to the bake sale. And I was like, <laughs> so deflated. <laughs> I was like, I guess you're right. Yeah. I guess you're like, I was like, okay. Um, and there were no cupcakes. There were no fucking cupcakes. I, so I got it. Earlier in the week, there were probably cupcakes, bro. I got like a vanilla frosted sheet cake and I finished like half of it last night. And I was you got just an like, entire sheet cake? It was like, <laughs> it was a huge, huge cake. Mm. And all it was was just, uh, I don't know, some fucking Duncan Hines thing with, with clearly frosting out of the can. And I just devoured it. I, had, I was just so sugar infused. It was, yeah, it was a lot. You're allowed to have I was your a day. Lot. I, had a, I had a big cheat day. I've, nope, I've had we don't a, recognize cheat days. We don't recognize cheat days. No, because they're not good. Like, How about my last noth- cheat, my last cheat two weeks? Is that nothing you eat should Fortnite? be cheating? My, your cheat fortnight. <laughs> my cheat fortnight. No, is that body okay? Body positivity. All right. We don't cheat days are bad for your mental health because yeah. as soon as you put a lock on something that you can or can't eat, it makes it you know like intangible, and then you want it more. Stress and whole shit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just if about, you want to eat a whole sheet cake, you I should. I think it's really smart for me to lock that shit down, actually. I've been on the <laughs> ice cream ice cream kick for a fortnight. Oh, so good, right? I know. I haven't done it in a while, but I had surgery the la- two weeks ago. You know, fun fact. Manny had a nose job. I had a sinuplasty and a turbinate reduction, which is not a nose job. My nose looks exactly the same. You but, do you. But more air goes into it. Do you know how smart I'm going to be now? Dude, oxygen's important. Come on now. I'm already doing equations. So You sound just, good, by the way. Thank you. This is I'm last three or four days I'm finally emerging from it was quite an ordeal. And I've had a kidney removed and given to someone. You have? I have. And never the, heard that. The the nose surgery was wor- recovery was worse in some ways. Oh yeah. It's just your it's in your face and anything in your face and you're clogged up. Now you know everyone gets clogged up for being sick for a couple of days. Not seven. Not seven days. <laughs> That's way different. Not complete blockage, not dry mouth. Well, I felt like I was at a jam band concert. I, I sprinkled some water in my mouth and I heard crackling. It was ridiculous. It's possible. It's possible that had the Lord been that stuffed up, that even <laughs> he wouldn't have been able to create the world, right? A hundred. Seven days. Absolutely. I mean, seven days. That's a Can't lot. It. So it was I maddening. I so bad for you. I was, I was, had they not removed the things that were left in there to pack everything and keep it nice on the seventh day, I would have created a uh, Xanax prescription. Uh, so 
Anyway, that all being said, I got into eating ice cream as a comfort food, and so mm. it's been my cheat fortnight in that regard. No, but no cheating. I know. You're allowed it's good. To eat you I, want as long as everything is good go. in moderation. Rocky Road, Heavenly Hash. Let's get as it on. As long as you feel comfortable in your in your head and your body, that's how you should look at it. Diet culture doesn't work. I just want to live. I do enough things to kill myself on a daily basis. I just want to live a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, listen, one, one quick final thought, uh, from my side and hand it over to you guys before we get into show notes. Um, Ronald Lauder, you can go fuck yourself. Uh, please stay away from all Estee Lauder products because Ronald Lauder is the one that came into New York at the 11th hour and dropped $11 million into Lee Zeldin's campaign. Wow. Yeah. Nice they guy. They also test on animals. And they also test on animals. Um, so fuck you, Estee Lauder. And uh, mm. state of our politics, and this is why we got to fix campaign finance reform. It's fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That's my final thought. Manny, you got a final thought? Oh, uh, something like way over a billion dollars was spent in like this whole campaign in this campaign season. A billion plus to hold. I mean, I to just hold. You know, so I I'm gonna anticipate that the Powerball winner. Just buys the next election straight up. <laughs> they to hold. Even it all out. <laughs> Be like the worst investment ever. It really, like all that money and we're kind of where we were. Um, and a billion to go in just Georgia. And a billion. I'm starting a food truck. Let's go. God, to own a radio station in Georgia. <laughs> right? Jesus. Yeah. Or be a yeah. podcaster. Anyway. <clears throat> so... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm just here uh, living the peach dream, and uh, we'll see how it goes in the runoff. Uh, I'm generally okay about how everything went, uh, is, is as best as you could be. I really think that, I mean, because it's a car crash waiting to happen, and we have to watch what a l- very landslidey DeSantis win means for a possible Trump announcement on the 14th or the 15th. Mike Pence is doing a town hall on CNN on the 15th or 16th. You know, I just came across him in the research that for this upcoming episode and something that he did while governor of Indiana and just, just talking about a guy who's just never been good. He's just always yeah. been an awful, awful human. Well, we're, we may have th- uh, an interesting uh, primary season. That, that's for sure. Uh, so I don't know how that's going to play out. Uh, I guess we'll see how that goes. That's still the... the Dude, the that, next two years are just going to be fucking chaos. It's, it's going to be. It would have been more chaos had this been the red wave. Uh, but uh, yeah. at least it's manageable chaos in the meantime. So we'll see how it goes. At least we uh still have a a, a show to do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> there's a, there's yeah, enough. Do. There's enough fodder for us. <laughs> Ninety nine. Any final thoughts before we get into show notes? My final thoughts are that we should end this episode and do show notes separately because this is long. How long? How, how long? We're at it? ninety minutes. Ninety minutes. Yeah, that works. Right? Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. All right. So then quick recap here. Don't know if the youth vote came out, but I do know that turnout was uh, historic. I'm a youth and I voted. So I'm going to say that the youth did show up, but also just as important what Biden did with protecting Medicare and the threat of Social Security going away. By the way, for anybody that doesn't think that that is possible, they overturned Roe v. Wade. They're Mm. coming for Social Security. They signaled it. They shouldn't have probably bit them in the ass because I think seniors- for the most part, we're probably like, 
that's a bridge too far. Even though they're talking about protecting it for seniors, but fucking future generations, they've been trying to do this ever since Social Security was passed. I'd sure like to hear us them talk about that for the next two years. Like the other side talks about crime. You know, right. Yeah. yeah. No, mm. absolutely. Oh, by the way, we're going to be subje- subjected to an endless number of hearings about uh, oh. Hunter Biden's laptop for the next two years. Yay. Well, finally, I, I think this is long overdue. Sponsored Who hasn't by Apple. Seen... <laughs> Sorry. What's on it at this point? Did you see ever see the photographs? Hunter Biden's photographs? Either of you? Mm, I don't think I, I don't have. go on uh, HN. I was about to say that. I was about to say 4chan, but yeah. Those were very accessible. Let me just say that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, abortion is apparently uh, a really hot topic in this country. How about that? The economy, also a hot topic, but and and still more important than crime. I think that here's what they couldn't walk away from. Unemployment is three and a half to three point seven percent. They added another couple hundred thousand jobs. People are working. They got still a little bit of money in the pocket, even though the Fed actually said out loud, the head of the New York Fed actually said out loud, one of the things we're going to try to do is uh, keep the pressure on because we see that consumers still have savings. <laughs> said it out loud. Nice. I swear to God. It's a awesome. fucking actual thing that she said. Um but people still have jobs. They've got some money in the bank. Interest rates aren't completely out of control, hasn't pushed housing completely out of reach. So we haven't seen a housing collapse yet. yet. And I think people were afraid to kind of fuck with that. But on the on the on the flip side of that, inflation could have upset the apple cart had it been pushed even a little bit higher. But I do think some of the core prices came down just in time, like gas. In even the process every, of recording. Oops, sorry. No, I was even every ad was still saying those gas prices are up so high. I'm like, have you looked at the gas? They're not high anymore. They've gone down. What are you? I mean, they're high relative to like five years ago. Right. But... They're not a dollar ninety nine. Sure, but they they weren't five. Yeah. Right. The you did this uh, sticker. Now I was like, oh, thanks, Biden. <laughs> you, brought them, <laughs> you brought the prices like, back we down. We should make them. <laughs> um. Yeah. While we were recording, there were more like sweeping rounds of layoffs at big tech companies. So well, I saw Meta 11,000 last night, right? Yeah. Wow. Talk about under the cover of darkness, huh? What Salesforce. a fucking asshole. Salesforce that- too? How many? 2%, which right 2%. now is 1,000 apparently. They're big. And maybe more. 1,000 announced, but they're saying two. Stripe. Right, it's like the Stripe. it's like the Friday, uh, you know, news dump. You know, the Friday massacre, yeah, yeah. But like a yep. election night massacre. Yeah, so it's kind of scary. Yeah, not so, kind of. It's very well. They're certainly trying to protect their profits. I mean, that's what kills me. These companies are still so fucking profitable. They're just trying to. They're doing it while they can, not necessarily because they should. But I really hope Twitter goes down. Um, again. Crime, there's hearing about it, and then there's it not actually being worse than it was. <laughs> so maybe enough people were just like, yeah, but just, I haven't, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Right. Who knows? The biggest crime is people stealing Amazon packages in the in the light of ring cameras. It's just, I mean, <laughs> if you see a ring camera, I know. go to the next house. I know. I Stop know. it. It makes for good internet. Uh, 
Trump had a very, very, very bad night. Mm-hmm. Masters. By the way, Carrie Lake. Ugh. Is she I, done? I, it's still unannounced. She's, 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 she's behind. I really want no one to lose more than her. Yeah, she's a fucking disaster. That one. I, you know, she's already. I mean, she was already calling out like the like the one machine that broke <clears throat> somewhere in Arizona. This is why. And then she like they she we I came. And she to, probably kicked. <laughs> See, it's broken. I had to come to a, a liberal place to cast my own vote because the machines work in the liberal regions, but clearly not oh in, in the. So she's already on that kick. Um, you and your soft lighting. I was about to say, and you know, and what's crazy is that even in real life, she has a filter. It's weird. I don't know how she does that. <laughs> um, uh, but as of right now, who knows when y'all hear this? But uh, it's still uh, Hobbs is leading uh, by a, you know, about three quarters of a percent, and mm. six, with sixty six percent of the votes in, no one's calling it yet. So we'll see. Got to be better than that. Got to be better than that. Yeah. It's Again, tight. hopefully, there's just a big urban center. Sure. That's going to come well, in. Hope, some yeah, probably city like, like Phoenix. Just dumps all their you know, votes. Yep. Uh, Maricopa County is going to be it. Uh, it says, fucking Maricopa, get your <sighs> shit together. I know. They're, they're only reporting 65% of the votes so <laughs> far. So, fucking so it's, stupid. it's good for the numbers for Hobbs, but enough already. We got stuff to do. I said well, stuff. Again, I said Nash- stuff like I can't say shit here. <laughs> I was auto censoring. Well, you know, <laughs> the FCC is probably listening to us now. Again, Mastriano lost. Oz lost. So, again, not a great night for Trump. Probably a better night for DeSantis for going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, another takeaway, polls are stupid. It, does I think the early voting and the, like the, all the multiple <laughs> ways just make it almost impossible to kind of tell what's going on anymore. Yeah. Let me ask you, 99, how many polls have you responded to? I don't even know how to get one. <laughs> I want one. About you? I want one so badly. I would answer right? yeah. just, just because of this podcast. So um, I'm going to get a landline you know next year. And so, you know, it, yeah. most of them are still landline and mail, right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 So why are we listening to these fucking people? I just don't understand it. One time a Nielsen person called my cell phone <clears throat> and we did a survey and got a check. For real? In college. Yeah. Nice. That's baller. Yeah. I'll always do Super a survey. Baller. I'll always do yeah. a survey. I don't I, yeah. I like it. I'll yep, do it. They good. just never call. They never asked me. No, not for me. Bastards. I would answer like, "How did your customer service representative help you?" And I'll give them a five. But I'm not going to like talk to a person about a thing. You know no. what? You know what's on? No, not that kind be. of. Yeah, yeah. But I answer political. If I get a call, like that's oh. my favorite. Thing well, he in the said world. surveys in general, so I don't know. My other favorite thing mm. in the world is when um, these fake uh, FOP friends of the police organizations call my house. Uh, because I have a standard line, and it drives my kids crazy because they think that the police are going to come to our house. <laughs> but I let the I let the dude go through his entire pitch, and then I'm like, "Oh my god, I love this! I totally, totally would have given you money, but I literally just wrote my last check to mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter. <sighs> Maybe call back next month, and then every <laughs> single time, click every time. Um, Senate judges." That's what I wrote down. Big mm. takeaway. Got to hold the Senate because that's going to be the thing. That's all we need to worry about other than getting organized for the next two years. The progressives did their job. They modeled what a good, successful campaign looks like going forward. It is all about connecting and reconnecting with the working class. Mm. Leave Biden to appointing judges for the next two years and expect literally nothing else legislatively. Let them gridlock and ha- have their hearings and do what it is. 
This is when we get organized. This is a really important point so that we do not get embarrassed in the next in the next election cycle. So overall, I'm going to say mostly good news last night. It was a it was a pretty good showing considering that the the, the midterms are historically a disaster. Hopefully yeah. everybody's getting this in time for this to make a lot of sense. Hopefully there's some good key takeaways here and uh, Can I take us out? Yeah. Go for it. God bless America. Wait. Land that I love. Is this this because I'm here? This is happening. Stand beside them. I don't really know what's going on, man. And guide them. It's. I wouldn't believe it's her, but I'm looking at her. She's actually doing this. This wasn't planned. The light. It's totally not from above. And she has control of the board. From the mountains. Stop it! I have control of the editing. To the prairie. To the ocean. We'll see your show notes on fuckers. White with foam. There's a second verse? I didn't even...